Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. My name is Eric Hulkerin. On today's episode, Julie Mack and Mark Tower stop by to talk about a special project MLive is working on focused on mental health. As I said, our guests today, Julie Mack and Mark Tower are joining us as always, my friend and co-host, the one and only Vice President of Content, John Heiner. Good morning, sir. Good morning, and thank you, Eric, for that kind introduction. It's good to be back uh, behind the headlines for another episode, uh, getting into uh, the behind-the-scenes look at what we do here at MLive and our communities across the state with journalism. We've got a special uh, focus today, and we have a special guest, and a legend in Michigan journalism and in MLive journalism. A uh, longtime reporter for our company with Kelms Gazette, recently retired, but anything but retired because uh, she's still very active in writing very important pieces for our readers. Julie Mack joining us today from Kalamazoo. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, John. It's great to have you back on Behind the Headlines. It's been a little while, but uh, great to have you back. Also um, joining us today is our editor for the Kalamazoo Gazette in our newsroom for MLive in Kalamazoo, Mark Tower. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, John. Our, our readers uh, in Kalamazoo, of course, but also I think across the state, have probably been seeing, uh, because once it's on MLive, everybody in the world can see it. Uh, it's front page for the, for the state of Michigan. But we've been doing a lot of substantive work around the issues of mental health. And in Kalamazoo, there's a special focus on this because MLive and the Kalamazoo Gazette are part of a, a Southwest Michigan journalism collaborative. And we have been, now, I think, since April, although you can correct me, Mark, um, working with the collaborative on a special reporting focus on mental health issues and how that affects our communities. So if you could just set the stage for us, I'd appreciate it, Mark. Talk a little bit about the collaborative and, and our role in it and, and what this reporting focus is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. And I just wanted to say thank you for shining a light on this. I think we recognize that mental health is important to the people in our community and to our readers here in Kalamazoo and across the state, like you said. And so all the more reason to, to talk about this. Uh, the collaborative, as you said, uh, predates this, this project on, on mental wellness. Um, uh, had its first meeting in 2019, uh, essentially just setting out to determine how in today's environment, how news organizations with shrinking staffs um, could work together to tell the most important stories in our communities. Um, so that's been a work in progress ever since. It's now made up of 12 local organizations, including MLive and the Kalamazoo Gazette and a series of other news and educational and public information organizations in the community. Um, there've been some early collaborations from that process. Um, and then in September of 2021, the collaborative received a grant from Solutions Journalism Network uh, to, to launch the mental wellness project that you referenced. Um, and also have received support from the Kalamazoo Community Foundation. Uh, like you said, that that started with stories in April of this year, uh, and then we've published about 20 stories on the topic since then. It's fully up and running, and thanks in no small part to, to Julie rejoining us af after retiring, which uh, has just been an essential part of that process to have her knowledge base and experience uh, to bring to bear. Julie... Well, she was excellent in a lot of ways, but she really uh, was, I think, one of the best reporters in the state on 
mental wellness and mental health issues. Uh, I really wrote some great stuff before the pandemic. And now um, all of the compounding factors of the pandemic, which have get referenced in some of the content that we've written, the stressors that have been put on people, um, really brought this, I think, to the forefront and makes it more relevant in the lives of people. Julie, what brought you back, which we're very grateful you are back, but also talk about your uh, role and what you're trying to accomplish with this content uh, it, that we're publishing as part of the collaborative. Well, actually, I'm back because um, when I was leaving, I have asked if I would be willing to do freelance, and I agreed to do that. And I was concentrating for the first months after my retirement on uh, the pandemic. Um, and as coverage of that was was beginning to lessen, um, this journalism collaboration was kicking into full gear, and I was asked to um, if I would be willing to write do some reporting on mental health. And that's, um, as you mentioned, uh, an interest of mine. I think um, I've had uh, multiple family members who've had um, some serious issues with mental health issues. And so it's something that I've really seen up close in my own life. I know lots of people who had similar experiences in their family. I think it's a hugely important issue and one that a lot of people don't realize how pervasive it is. Um, about half of, a, of Americans will have um, a mental health disorder at some point in their life, and about a quarter at any time have depression and anxiety or some other PTSD. You know, I mean, a lot of people have issues around behavioral health. And so it is a hugely important topic for pretty much every every family in America. It's hard to, to think of people who are untouched directly or directly by mental health issues. One of the stats that sticks with me from your previous reporting prior to the pandemic, uh, a large package we did about mental health challenges facing people in Michigan, um, and then also the public health system and how it treats mental health, was that one in five people during their lifetime will be subject to some form of, of mental illness or, uh, you know, uh, symptoms of, of stressors that indicate mental, uh, you know, or emotional problems. Um, how has the pandemic, you think, you know, affected that, those baseline kind of stats? Oh, well, and that's one reason you mentioned that stat from pre-pandemic where it was one in five, and now I think it's about one in four. So it's definitely um, up to things. I mean, obviously, the isolation, the financial stresses, the, um, you know, think of all those, all those moms, all those parents who were dealing with children who are not going to school. Um, I mean, pandemic disrupted about every aspect of life and it certainly introduced a lot of stress in people's lives, that's for sure, you know, and different groups in different ways. I mean, for old people, a lot of times it was isolation and sometimes pretty extreme forms of isolation you know for families it was you know the 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 24 7 togetherness um and you know what people trying to juggle work work and having children who are being in effect book school so it was a lot of different stressors right and mark you know you manage in a newsroom and uh we've kind of gone back and forth with so much, you know, we're going back in the offices, we're not going back in the offices, uh, people, a lot of people working from home, you have uh, staff members who have children and, 
and special needs and so forth. How, how have you seen the stresses uh, manifest themselves um, in ways that inform our mental health reporting? Yeah, good, good point, John. We're human beings as, as well as being journalists, right? So we dealt with the pandemic, I think, much like the, the rest of the, the world has dealt with it. Um, tried to support each other through those difficult times and navigate the different way in which the, we're communicating with each other. Um, it definitely resulted in, in stress and, and made us have to look for ways to relieve that. Um, so it, it's absolutely something that very personally affects each one of us in the newsroom, as well as being something that we see happening in the community around us. Yeah, I've seen um, that we've had to be one, number one, look in the mirror and look at how it's affecting us personally, but also uh, be more aware of accommodating not just people's personal needs, like with their childcare needs or whatever, but their work-life balance and their, you know, our company has done some initiatives with, with some uh, health benefits and, and mental health making services available and so forth. And so hopefully the awareness is higher around these issues. Um, and, you know, and that segue, the question now into, I want to ask you is about the collaborative itself and the focus on mental wellness, you know, where that, you know, what we're is trying to be accomplished with that um, as a collaborative and, and they're, probably what, 10, 12 members of the collaborative were one of them. But what, how broad is this focus and what are some of the objectives? Yeah, absolutely. And Julie, feel free to jump in if you have anything to add, but I can, I can summarize. Um, so this group collaboratively decided on this topic when, when we went to seek support from Solutions Journalism Network. Um, so I mentioned Solutions Journalism Network they're financially supporting this, this effort, uh, as well as the Kalamazoo Community Foundation, but they're also helping to guide how we go about it on the reporting that Julie and, and the other reporters from the collaborative are doing. The idea is really to find solutions, to identify solutions, as well as identify things that might get in the way of those solutions being implemented. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, for example, Julie recently published a story as part of this that takes a look at things that law enforcement are doing in our community to proactively try to address how suspects and other community members are dealt with by the police in terms of their mental health. Um, it's one example of solutions being explored. Uh, we're looking at solutions elsewhere beyond our borders and, and trying to really at least create the first draft of a roadmap to, to try to address some of these issues of access and mental health struggles in our community. And Julie, does this, is this some Kalamazoo centric kind of uh, factors or just kind of broad factors? And we're just looking uh, as a part of the collaborative in Kalamazoo. Well, the, it's both. Um, I mean, the law enforcement looked specifically at Kalamazoo County law enforcement, for instance. But this is something that people are struggling with across the state, across the country. There's not really, um, while, while some of the details may differ from community to community, um, you know, I think anybody, but Kalamazoo is very much a microcosm of, of the rest of the state. Um, I will say that in some of the stories have been very general. I mean, I did a story on what do you say to people who 
um, if you have someone in your in your acquaintance or family or your friends who, who is contemplating suicide, what what could you do? What should you do? Now that's a and I did talk to the people quoted in that story are from Southwest Michigan, but that's a story that has implications far beyond um, Kalamazoo. I mean that advice is really for anybody. Um, I did a story on uh, how to find an effective therapist. Once again, a story that really run anywhere in America that the same kind of advice would, would apply. Um, you know, there was a, a companion piece to that about how to find affordable um, therapy. That did have some specifics to the Kalamazoo area, but once again, some of that advice was anybody could, you know, if you lived in another state, even could you could tap into, you know, consider that advice. I'm glad you mentioned those stories because what struck me about those is how practical it is. I mean, it's such a broad topic, you know, mental health. And I think anyone who's had this in their family too, sometimes it feels like it's outside of our reach. Like we can't affect, you know, um, either mental health problems in our communities, or even sometimes we, it's hard to reach somebody who's, who's struggling but your stories really had practical elements to them that I found extremely helpful and useful. Um, and is that something, Mark and, and Julie, that you're trying to do with each of these stories is, is make them sort of have utility and, and, and help people find solutions? I'll let Julie address that. She is the master of making stories useful. Um, well, one thing important to, to, um, point out here is that this specific project right now is solutions-based journalism. So the stories are supposed to, and I, and it's not that hard. I think that it, you, we should be doing this in journalism in general, but as we're writing the stories, we're supposed to be thinking about instead of just, not just throwing out the problem and not just providing detail about the problem and data about the problem, but also talking about what are the, what are the solutions that are being undertaken right now? What are solutions that are not being undertaken that could be considered? It is solutions-based journalism. So it is very much about, um, don't just tell us what the problem is, tell us what we could do about it. And um, so I think that that very much has been an essential element of this particular project. If you're looking for solutions, it would seem then, uh, and I'm not trying to be rhetorical here, but that you would want some quantifiable measures that you could, you know, track whether you're making progress towards your objectives. Is there anything that's spelled out um, in this overall project for the community in terms of measures that you're getting through to people um, that these stories are they're making a difference? Um, that there's you know perhaps more people who are calling hotlines or, or anything of that nature. Do you have any any kind of standards that we're looking at that show that you know that this is being effective? Well, Mark would be, I mean, because I, I, I'm, I'm writing the stories. I'm not among the people doing the, the measures, so. We, we are looking for that, John. There's uh, grant money involved, as I mentioned. So of course we will have a report out at the end of this process. Um, that is a difficult thing to pin down, we found, just as we've been discussing with people in the mental health field about how, how we can get at have we made progress? Have, have we um, moved toward these these solutions that we're exploring? 
engagement, certainly, um, it is something that we're keeping a close eye on, both with the stories that we publish, right, who, who sees and, and uh, is able to benefit from uh, those stories, like the ones that Julie mentioned that give such good practical advice. Um, that, that is one thing that we'll be able to say at the end of this, what was able to be done as, as far as communicating that with, with the community. Um, but it, it, it's more difficult to say, was this a success? Did we improve mental health? That's, that's tough to pin down. Mm -hmm. And Julie, I'd referenced some of the uh, statewide pieces that you did prior to COVID, you know, spelling out the, both the, the landscape um, of how pervasive mental health issues are in our culture and society, but also, you know, what the state is doing to try to reform, you know, mental health treatment and all that stuff. And we mentioned that COVID has just made probably everything worse, but do you see any signs of progress from that original reporting or where, where, do you, where has it gone since then? You know, I think that's an interesting thing because I, while the pandemic was um, hard on people's mental health, it also very much jump-started um, a statewide conversation about the importance of mental health, it, you know, as divisive as um, the debate over different aspects of the pandemic were certainly divided people. That was a, really an area of common of common ground. I think there really wasn't any disagreement that the pandemic had really taken a hammer to people's mental health and things needed to improve in terms of access. And so, and I think that there had been, there's really been some dramatic leap forwards in terms of access to mental health. And let me name a couple. I mean, a big one, honestly, was the dramatic expansion of telehealth. That was something that um, uh, was taken under necessity that, um, you know, because people weren't supposed to be getting together in person, therapists were, started doing their therapy online. And, um, you know, whether therapists wanted, you know, basically counseling agencies were telling the, the therapist, you've got to do this. And it turned out that that had um, some really beneficial effects in terms of providing access. You have rural areas of the state where there's not a lot of in-person, you know, the, the options for in-person counseling were, were very limited. Um, now, most counseling networks can offer to anybody in Michigan, um, you know, you want to get, you know, you need a very specific type of counselor, maybe someone who's a person of color. and a woman and who deals with women, you know, some of the history of sexual assault and maybe that wasn't available in your um, rural community. And now you can get that online. You can find someone in, a, in the Metro Detroit who's, who specializes in those areas um, or even people who are had transportation issues. You can now do this online. Um, I think that that has been a, a just a, a tremendous um, leap forward in terms of accessing the kind of counselor, because the issue is not just finding a counselor a lot of times, it's finding a counselor who, um, who you can bond with, who has, um, maybe has expertise in your specific issues. And that has been just a big, big change. Um, you're seeing a lot more apps um, that you can get counseling. Um, that's more for self-pay people, but, um, you know, I think for younger people, that's been a big change. And a lot of times, if you don't have, if your insurance is somewhat limited on what they'll cover in terms of, in terms of counseling, those apps are actually much cheaper than the traditional 
80, $100 a session. Um, you know, you can get an app, you can pay a fee, you get unlimited counseling for the month. Um, so that's been a big change. Um, a lot of the pandemic, federal pandemic money, um, most of the schools, in the, at least in the Kalamazoo area, and I would imagine throughout the state, now have in-person or school-based counseling programs, which make it far more easier for parent, you know, children who are having um, behavioral health issues to access counseling services. So that's been a big change. Um, I think that uh, uh, in terms of insurance, there's been more pressure on insurance to cover, uh, make sure that people have access and employers. I think, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people now are <coughs> aware that um, uh, workplaces have um, offer free counseling services not lots, but like maybe like five sessions through their employee assistance programs. So I think there's been a lot of changes, honestly, in terms Great. of access. And one of the uh, main, well, it was a thrust of the original reporting you did you know, two and a half years ago, was the stigmas around mental illness and trying to destigmatize it so that, you know, it gets a little more normalized to seek help and, and to be kind of like, you know, open in society about you know, the per, how pervasive this is. And if anything, all the stuff you just mentioned, um, mainstreaming these services and making them a lot more available in our, in our, our app culture, um, perhaps has, has done something to help destigmatize uh, mental, the need for mental services. Oh, I would totally agree. I mean, I think that there's uh, uh, been a big change forward of, you know, I think younger people, you know, people under 40, um, there was a lot less stigma attached to mental health issues and getting counseling and getting help. I think it is people, you know, for older generations, it was, um, it's, there's still a lot of stigma around it. And I think that um, there's no question that the pandemic and the struggles that people were having really broke down uh, broke down the stigma, although there's still a lot of stigma out there, I will say. I mean, I don't mm. think that is, I mean, one thing that struck me during the reporting in Kalamazoo is actually how much is available in the Kalamazoo in terms of mental health resources. I mean, I think that it is pretty surprising that, you know, you read about a couple of times people have pitched and said, you know, maybe you should do a story about this community having this program and whether we should have that Kalamazoo. And it turns out Kalamazoo already has that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, the biggest issues around mental health access right now um, are probably the stigma is still there. But part of it is just knowledge. People aren't aware a lot of times what, um, what services are available. And hopefully these stories are, that's what one thing that it's doing is just making, raising awareness of if you have, this specific issue or that specific, how many options are available in terms of getting your, if you need help with, with, with mental health issues? I'm sure that's a huge part of the public service aspect of this is raising awareness around what those services are. Uh, a couple of things that strike me, and we'll, I'll kind of take them one by one here. One is how, and I'm no surprise, you're a very thorough reporter, you're, you, you base you're reporting in, in fact and science, you get a lot of data. One of the things that still surprised me after everything I know about, you know, mental health services and treatment in Michigan is, 
is the per- how pervasive suicide still is or is in society. And you had some numbers around, you know, the past decade, how many, you know, time, how many suicides there have been in Michigan. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's a, if that's a benchmark that is looked at as a barometer for mental health, but uh, I thought that's where your practical reporting on how to identify uh, somebody who may be prone to, to, to having thoughts of suicide or how to get help to them or how to even speak to them was a real public service. You know, the suicide number is really interesting. Even though access to mental health has definitely improved over the past decade, the suicide numbers have crept up. So, and I, when I asked people about that, they pointed out that one issue with suicide numbers is there, there remains an issue with underreporting. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, people can die in somewhat ambiguous circumstances. And um, in, in the past, I think there were certainly times when sort of apply pressure to their doctors or medical examiners to, um, to not code a death. You know, someone, I mean, people die of overdoses. You know, is that a suicide or is, was that an mm. unintentional death? You have single car crashes. In some cases, those are people who are were suicidal and just deliberately running into something. And we don't know what they're all know of situations where a suicide happened and family told people that it, it was something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, part of the increase in suicide numbers may be due to the diminishing stigma and the fact that um, professionals who are coding the deaths feel less inclined to, you know, cut the family a break, you know what I mean, to, to you know, sort of bend the family pressure and not quote a death as suicide, it quoted as accidental. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, the crisis intervention teams and the use of social workers working hand in hand with police. Um, you know, the whole uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and some of the discussions about police response to crime, you know, uh, you know, crime scenes or whatever, uh, criminal suspects. And you have some stats in there too about, uh, from law enforcement officials about what percentage they believe the people in their jails are, have some form of mental illness. And I, I, I don't want to get the number wrong, but it seemed like it was 65 or. It was, or, yeah, it was like 60% or more. They, when I read that somewhere, that it was 60%. And when I asked them about it, everyone sort of snorted and said, that's on a good day. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that nobody was pushing back against that number at all. And even just on ordinary police calls, I mean, Portage Police and Portage is one of our more affluent areas in Kalamazoo County, told me that 25 to 30% of their calls are have a, a behavioral health component. And you could imagine that that would actually be higher in a um, community like Kalamazoo, where um, in, in the city of Kalamazoo, where there's um, um Homeless people, that tends to be where um, people who are homeless tend to live or tend to be congregate. And, um, and there's also a higher poverty rate, which means you have more people who are not getting mental health services and thus it might be more likely to be in a crisis situation and calling 911 about it. Right. So do you, is there any uh, thought or evidence that the crisis intervention training and the use of social workers and 
uh, has has you know reduced or somehow made these interactions better when they go out to these scenes. So when you look at the national, I mean, this actually has been a sort of nationwide drive. Actually, I was surprised that this actually goes back a couple decades. So it's it's not something new, although it keeps getting ramped up. Nationally, the evidence is mixed. Um, it does it shows that it's not. It doesn't make things worse, um, but a lot of it just depends on the um, that particular community and the dynamics of that particular community. I mean, it, it all has to do with with execution and implementation, right? I mean, a one-time training of police officers on how to deal with uh, people in a mental health crisis may not do a lot of work, particularly if if the police are sitting through that training and rolling their eyes about it. Um, if you have a an agency that it really takes it to heart, it, um, it is going to make a difference. I think the consensus in Kalamazoo County, when I talk to mental health folks, is that it, it does and can make a difference. I think that they do feel like it's not, uh, it makes a difference, but we need to do more. I mean, it, and in Kalamazoo County, there still has been some situation, a couple of situations in recent years you know, a suicide, you know, jail suicide, um, uh, you know, a couple of incidents involving police and someone in a mental health crisis that ended in a death. Um, in one case, it was a police officer, you know, um, in other cases, it's been, some, you know, the uh, person who was in the crisis. So there obviously is still work to need to be done. They are actually doing a fairly aggressive project right now that may make mental health workers themselves part of the first response team. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not just um, about police officers figuring out how to respond, but also if there is a crisis that mental health people are involved from the get-go, not replacing police. I want to make that clear. Right. Mental health workers do not want to replace police. They, everyone I talked to said that police have a important vital job that that is separate, you know, keep in terms of keeping people safe. That is not, um, that is not a job that mental health people want to take over in terms of, you know, no. the physical, maintaining the physical safety. No, it's just right. about bringing another asset to the, to these situations that can be uh, affected by, by, you know, behavioral or mental health issues. I mean, it's really not that much different, honestly, the police uh, having the ambulance respond to the scene. And, right. and having trained health or trained um, health, you know, EMTs and stuff there and um, helping with um, someone's someone's injuries. Yeah. Well, uh, we're getting to the near the end of our time here, and so I want to go back to you, Mark, and and just ask, you know, what what's next um, in this reporting uh, initiative, and, and what we we might be seeing, what things you're looking into, and and you know what the the, the outcomes uh, we're looking for with the the collaborative and the and the stories that we're doing in the community. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a few months left on our uh, the time period that we have for this project. Um, so we're we're not finished yet. Uh, although Julie has done great work, and and the other uh, reporters that have contributed to the project have have done excellent work. Uh, still still more in the pipeline. Uh, looking at a uh, number of inpatient beds for mental health in the community, uh, among many other things that, that are still to come. 
um, hopefully more good information like we talked about that can that can help real people in in their times of need when when they need it um, and in, inspire some positive change as well. Um, we've also been taking the time during this process to intentionally listen to the community and, and try to uh, respond and, and get them answers to the questions they want to know, right? Not not just the questions that we're curious about. Um, there is a, a fourth and final community event actually happening tonight. Um, so getting ready to, to go to that this evening, um, asking people in Kalamazoo to, to come in to that event and, and share how the pandemic has affected them personally. Um, it's a we're calling it a notebook down event because we mm -hmm. want people to be honest with us and, and uh, tell us what's really happening in their lives. Um, they'll certainly would be willing to uh, talk, talk to people on the record as well. Um, so there's that coming up. Um, lots more good stories to come from us and all the other partners at Southwest Michigan Journalism Collaborative. Um, and at the end of this story, obviously our work is not done on mental health in, in the community. Uh, as I'm live, Kalamazoo Gazette will continue to, to tell those stories. Um, and looking forward to, as a collaborative of journalism institutions, telling other stories as well uh, for the community and helping each other do that in, in ways that, uh, that really elevate that work. Well, it's the essence of public service and also being responsive to our communities that we serve and, and report to. And uh, I want to thank you both for joining today. Julie, um, it's great to still have you in our realm doing this, this kind of very essential work. Uh, we really appreciate it. And I'm sure uh, readers are, are, are do as well and find it useful for them. So thank you for joining today, Julie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Mark, thanks for leading this uh, initiative and we're uh, looking forward to the, the, the good work that's yet to come from us. So thanks for joining today. Thank you, John. So am I. As always, if you like what we are doing here, like, comment, and share wherever you get your podcasts. He is John Heiner. I am Eric Halkren, and this is Behind the Headlines.